This is Kyle McCord, and you're listening to Austin, Felix, and Matt on the Debbie Debate. Welcome to the Debbie Debate. All right, boys. Are we ready to debate? Austin, you tweeted something, girl. You tweeted your running back tonight. Explain yourself. Boy, that escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand fast. He jumped up and... That's Austin Mace. Who is going to be that guy? And for me, B. John Robinson is still going to be that guy. Back to the ground with Robinson, who spins and then tries to bounce it. A stiff arm, another one as he rides it, keeps his balance. They're going to say he stepped out, but I'm... I'm feeling sharp. I know you didn't think that we would get through this episode without mentioning the name one Zach F. Wilson. Screen or draw? Oh, Wilson is going to uncork for the end zone. And he drops it in beautifully. And it is his roommate, Dax Milne, on the touchdown. That's Matt Brody. G. Scott Jr. Obviously, I whacked poetic about him on the last episode, so I won't do that again here. And this time it's Fields on the carry. Watch out! Justin Fields! Hello, Columbus! 51 yards! Vernon, are you ready to go head-to-head with me? I am. Gotta get my popcorn out here. Hold on. Gotta continue. I forgot. Kyle McCord is going to end up winning the job. He's going to be rated higher. Um, well, I'm not nearly as passionate about what I'm about to talk about. Our apologies to Kirk Street and Atlanta's time. We'll get to reschedule soon. And for Matt Bruning and Austin Nate, I'm Felix Sharp. Good night and good luck. It's 9.30 Eastern time, the only time zone that matters. That means it's time for the Debbie Debate, brought to you by CampusToCant.com. Austin Nace is here, and so is Matt Bruning, back from his three-week vacation. Uh, And I'm Felix Sharp on a pregnant version of tonight's show. Is Drake May headed for a bus season? Is Blake Corm an undrafted free agent? But we start with deal or no deal. The College Football Players Association – says the NCAA players should boycott the upcoming 2024 NCAA video game being produced by EA Sports, the return of this video game. The basis for that uh, proposition is that they're saying that $500 is not enough. Now, uh, I was not aware of this organization. They fashion themselves as a union, but there is no official union in college football. Justin Falsinelli is the vice president of this organization. And he was quoted in an article by On3 uh, published earlier today. He also made some comments on Twitter that kind of just back up what he was saying. He says, I love to see the, the NCAA video game made, but would love to see players get more than half of 1% of the revenue. He's saying that they would get $5 million and he's projecting uh, sales in the four to $500 million range. He says a group licensing a group licensing deal with a lower fee than the previous settlement without royalties is a garbage deal. I should mention that the $500 does not include royalties in the future. 
He says a company that will likely bring in again four to five hundred million in revenue from this game can afford to pay more than one percent of revenue to the players. There are ten thousand FBS players who stand to benefit from the deal. He goes on, the sports video game industry EA does not have margins so tight uh, they cannot they cannot that they cannot afford to pay more than one percent of revenue to the players. Justin Falcinelli was a uh, center for Clemson. Uh, previously, a former Clemson player, he's there. There have also been some numbers posted and some comparisons made to what players make in uh, in the NFL for being in Madden, and those numbers range from like seventeen thousand to twenty eight thousand dollars. Before I give my opinion, uh, Matthew, I want to throw it to you. I mean, this kind of blew up today. People reacted very, very strongly because people want this video game. What were your reactions to the article published by On3? I put it in our group chat. Uh, first off, I'd like to say thank you guys for having me on the show. First time, long time, big fan of you guys. So I appreciate you guys allowing me to come on here and talk for once. Um, I am intrigued to see where this goes. I think $500 is not that bad of a deal, if I'm being honest. If you look, the average NIL deal is $1,000, and that's going for still some fairly good players. Now, I get some of the revenue stuff that you just talked about. It may only end up being 1%. There's also some other numbers out there that are saying they'll end up making about 10% of what the game may make. That's a pretty significant chunk out of that because I don't know that they're going to make what, – what did you say that the, they're projecting the, the revenue to be on that again? 500 – half a billion dollars. Half, half a billion, billion dollars. But is that after all the costs that go into paying all the people who develop the game and all the other stuff? I guarantee you that's not. It costs a lot of money to make these games. And from everything we've heard reported by, and I wish I could remember who it was. He does a lot of stuff with college football nerds and solid verbal. He works for the athletic. He does. He's covered a lot of this stuff when it comes to the video game. I will look and find out what his name is. They've had to rebuild this game from the bottom up. There was talks that they were going to try and do what they did with use Madden's game engine. They're not doing that. So, I'll be intrigued to see where this goes. We've seen already players tweeting out that they're fine taking $20. They're fine doing it for free. And I do think that's the route that 95% of the players are going to go. They want to be in the game. It is a big deal. If I could be in a game, I would pay somebody to let me like EA get at your boy. I'll pay you to be a, an analyst at the bottom line. Hey, Drake may scored you this many points. I don't care. Like, and I think most players think that way as well. I, I get the high-end guys maybe want more money, but you know what I'm also – I'm just going to be honest. As someone who's played the game, Felix, you've played the game as well, played it a ton, I'm sure, just like I did. Caleb Williams wants a million dollars to be in this game. Guess what? Austin didn't play the game. It was just you and me. Austin never played it. Yeah, but who won that? We did play against each other. You beat me by uh, three points. I played in Cincinnati. I don't remember who you played as. You were Alec Pierce. No, no, no. A, I remember. Bad. Alec Pierce gave you the business in that game. Had Cincinnati. Alec Pierce was going goes all day. We so if you had a press over Cincinnati. there. You had somebody else. You had a bad team too. No, I had Cincinnati. I'm pretty sure I had Cincinnati. I don't remember. It was a close game. You you scored with like 10 seconds left. You did beat me by like three points. But regardless, that's that's besides the point. Uh, now, see, now you got me off track. I don't even remember what my point was going to be. Oh, if Caleb Williams wants to get paid a million dollars to be in this game, guess what? He's not going to be in it, and then someone's just going to go create him and put it online, and then everybody's just going to download him and have him in the game regardless. So either you can make $500 and be in the game, or you're going to be in the game for free. However you want to go about it, that's fine by me. Austin, you're a small business owner, and you know better than anybody that it takes money to build things. What was your reaction to 
to this article and, and this organization's position that the player should boycott the game. Yeah. Um, I think this is a case of short-sightedness from a lot of the players because I'm sure, well, first off, like Matt said, I'm sure the players that actually are demanding more money are players that are probably making significant NIL already. So it's no, you know, skin off their, you know, whatever if the game doesn't get made because they're making their money already. But the short-sighted portion of this is the fact that being in this game will probably lead to more money for you because you become more recognizable. We've talked about it on this show a bunch. There are even players that aren't Caleb Williams that'll benefit. There's always in these kinds of games. You know, I've never, I never played the NCAA game growing up, but I played a, a lot of Madden a long time ago. And then I played FIFA up through 2016. That's probably the last game console I bought. So I'm not that up to date on these things, but there's always like this a 60 rated player that everybody loves using because they have like some sort of game breaking attribute, whether it's like their speed or just for whatever reason, like they they catch everything around them or, you know, there's some sort of attribute. So there are other guys that I think will benefit from this because some YouTuber is going to really like playing with the third receiver on Houston or, um, you know, the, the backup running back at Cincinnati is actually better than the starter. And when you put him in, he leads your ultimate team or, or, or whatever the, the game mode is. So, I think there are a lot of players that will benefit a lot monetarily and other ways from being in this game. I, I, as somebody who's probably not going to purchase it just because I don't want to go purchase a new game system to play it, um, it's it, I don't care if it gets made or not. Like realistically, like it, it impacts my life zero percent at the end of the day. But I, I think that the, so that's not where my stance is coming from. I just think it's it's folly on on the players parts and this this justin falcinelli guy he's not an attorney but he sounds like every dime store attorney that i've ever met in my life trying to hawk his bull crap on twitter it's bad i was trying to get justin on this show i guess that that ship has sailed uh Sorry. and i also disagree with you that it, it impact it impacts your life none because you are in the business of college football this is good for that. the business of yes. college football um so I guess the points that I want to make is, is what is the NCAA's licensing deal with EA Sports? Because they need a licensing deal to use the team names, logos, et cetera, all of that stuff, their imagery. If the NCAA is getting $20 million and the players are getting five, I think that that could be unfair. unfair. No one's made that point, though. Like, to me, that is a big number to start with negotiations. If the NCAA is getting one or $2 million, then to me, the players have nothing to complain about. I don't know what that number is, though. Um, you cannot compare Madden to the NCAA. First of all, Madden, as of right now, sells more copies, generally sold more copies than the NCAA game. I kind of think that that might change in 2024 because we've been waiting for this game. I think the NCAA game could sell more than, than Madden, but that's just a projection. The other thing is, is the player pool in Madden is smaller. There are like 1,100 players. In the NFL, there are more than 10,000 in college football. If you are going to pay all of the FBS players, you won't have any money left. And quite frankly, EA has done this before. They don't need the players sign off on this. They can make the game without them. Now, if I remember correctly, there is a case that basically said the 
at EA was using the player's name, image, and likeness, even though it said QB, you know, Denard Robinson was a quarterback with dreadlocks or, or and had 99 speed, and it looked like Denard Robinson, and it was number 16, but, oh, it's not Denard Robinson. If I remember correctly, there was a, a case that said, yeah, that is his name, There's image, and likeness. The Ed O'Banion case, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, and so there's a risk of that, but they could just put generic team names and just put numbers on there. And, and then, you know, what's going to happen. Somebody's going to go and create the rosters like they always did. and You will get nothing. Now, could, could there be a little bit more wiggle room? Could it be a thousand dollars? Maybe, but the dreams of getting what the NFL is getting 17, 28, $30,000 plus royalties. I don't, that is, you're not going to get that. I'm sorry. It is what it is. Um, and maybe they go to the negotiating table. But quite frankly, there is no union in college football. So this is not something that's going to be like collectively bargained with EA. They can opt in or opt, opt out. And I bet you that 75, 80% of the players, maybe more, are going to opt into the game. The ones that won't are probably players who whose value is – they just – they're not getting as much as they want. Just like – Jordan wasn't on NBA Jam. You'll probably have Caleb Williams and Marvin Harrison Jr. Those guys might might opt out. But otherwise, I think you'll see the majority of players in the game. So, um, yeah, that's that. Housekeeping, the CFF guide, is available March – or excuse me, March. July 1st. It's coming soon. It's my favorite publication of the three guides. I heard somebody get offended by that on Campus Life this week. Still my favorite uh, because I know the least about college fantasy football. You can pre-order now $20 or become a subscriber to CampusToCamp.com for $79.99 a year, a yearly subscriber, NIL tier. You get all three guides, all of our content, all of the rankings, the athleticism comparison tool, the charts that you're starting to see all over Twitter where you compare college and NFL players. You get all of that as a part of your subscription and the three guides, including the CFF guide, mailed to you as soon as it is released. So go ahead and do that. We have not had – we've seen our numbers jump here this offseason. Austin, you can correct me if I'm wrong. But we have not had a new rate and review since April. It's terrible, people. That's terrible. If you want to see this brand grow, this independent brand grow that's trying to grow – college fantasy football, and make it more visible. Speaking of which, we'll probably have an announcement at some point next week, making college football more visible. Then give us a rate and review on iTunes so that you can see us go up the charts. It helps with the algorithm. Can I at least get two between now and this time next week? I don't think that that's unreasonable. It is sad. Sad that we haven't gotten one since April. And you know what? Quite frankly, I'm offended and I'm triggered. Um, all right, Austin, why don't you tell the folks about home field? Yeah. Last piece of business for anybody that missed it last week. We now are officially working with home field apparel, which we're very excited about because we love everything that they offer for those not familiar with home field apparel. They are retro designed college sport apparel company, essentially what they are. They do a ton of different T-shirts, sweatshirts, sweatpants, quarter zips, like all these different things with 
over 150 different schools logos on it like the old fun ones back before like they all became generic and whatever because they they look better on a poster somewhere really cool designs their comfy is all get out we talked about it this week on campus life their sweatpants are the comfiest pair of pants i've ever worn in my life promo code campus to canton campus the number two canton gets you 50 percent off your order go ahead buy some shirts buy some sweatshirts get ready for college football season hump hopping with home with home field apparel i know i'm going to be making a order for i don't know 10 plus shirts in the next week or two so uh you should too are we doing the giveaway? Did you mention the giveaway we're doing related oh, to yeah. this? Oh, yeah. I guess I should mention the giveaway. That's why, I, that's, why I, that's why I gave it to you in the first place, because you know the terms of the giveaway. We haven't had a lot of people send us their stuff either, even though like I can see when the orders come in, and I, I know like there are orders. When you use the promo code and your receipt comes up at the end, take a screenshot of it, send it to us. It will show that you've used our promo code, that you've used it. We, you are entered to win. If you are not an NIL member with us, you are entered to win all of our guides for the year. The Felix, Felix just mentioned the CFF guide, the Debbie guide, the supplemental draft guide. If you are an NIL member, we're going to be giving away some signed merch. We don't quite have our hands on it yet, so we haven't announced it to you guys, but there will be some good stuff coming your way. So, um, yeah, go ahead. Send us those guys. I think we've only had two people send it to us, and I, I've seen the orders. There's a lot more than than two people have ordered, so, so send those over, seriously, if you want to get entered to win. We love our relationship with Home Field. We think it's a perfect match given what it is that they do and what it is that we do. And it's something that we've wanted for a very long time. Last week's episode was potential breakouts in 2023. I think we're going to stick with the theme of bees this week doing busts. Matthew, you were serving your, uh, you were on vacation. Why don't you start us off at the quarterback position with your potential bust for 2023? Okay. Um, so I, I probably should have asked this beforehand because I wasn't exactly sure how we're defining bust. Because if you really look at the quarterback list, I think you could pick one of many. I just, I wanted to try and keep all of mine within like our top 10 to 25. You could say Cade Klubnick, Connor Wigman, Kyle McCord, Quinn Ewers, Drew Alar, JJ McCarthy. Oh, I would love, I hope you say Kyle McCord. I oh, yeah, that's exactly love. what I'm doing. Um, I got to stay on Kyle, brand. I mean, you know. <laughs> If I'm going based on, I'll, I'll actually just stick in the top ten. I'm gonna, I'm gonna stick with it. I've, I've been saying it since last year. Kate Klubnick, you're drafting him as one of the top quarterbacks off the board. I know he's got Garrett Riley's Garrett Riley coming in as his offensive coordinator. We know Antonio Williams is going to be good. He was good last year. However. The rest of that wide receiver core is bad. And I don't know that Kate Klubnik did not look good, in my opinion, last year. And yet we are not afraid to trash players who've started two games, one game. But Kate Klubnik went out there and made like two good throws. And one of them, in my opinion, was really not that good. And all of a sudden, he's going to be amazing and fantastic. He's just great rusher, great arm. He doesn't have any of those things. He is a game manager quarterback. And I understand what Garrett Riley was able to do with Max Dugan. Dugan was at least a little bit of a veteran. He had some game experience. He was also playing much weaker competition than Kate Clubman is going to play most of the year. I think that he is going to struggle this year. And for a player that you are, are picking that high to be, a, in my opinion, a CFF asset and to get you first-round draft capital, he is one of the many in the top 10 that I have serious questions about, but he's the one that I would just avoid at all costs. I think he's going way too high, and you're paying way too much, too much for a premium on a player that I think has a lot of question marks. 
I mean, I don't know. I, they got a new offensive coordinator there. We know that Antonio Williams is going to be a dynamic playmaker for them. They might have two really good outside wide receivers in Bo Collins and Adam Randall. Maybe Troy Salato provides a deep threat. So I don't know. I, there are like there are like three or four established guys. I would still take Cade Klubnik over somebody like Michael Penix Jr., right? Because I think we know – I mean, he's still healthy. He probably has a higher ceiling. There's some more potential to develop there. There's just – 2023, he's in my top 10. That's the thing. He's in my top 10 rankings. That's yours. He's He's not in our top 10 overall. Yeah. But I I mean, I see, I see the point. I guess I'm just trying to provide some rebuttal because there's like three guys that we have faith in. And then it's a bunch of unproven players. My quarterback three is Drew Aller, who hasn't even started a full season. So I I mean, I'm going to, I'll argue as much as I love Quinn Ewers, there's two guys that you believe in. It's Caleb and Drake, and that's it. There's a lot of, you could have many, you could have two to three questions about every single player on that list from three who is Drew Aller in our consensus down to, I have the top 25 pull up. Preston Stone is our QB Mm -hmm. 25. I mean, I know Austin Lysom, either you could list five or six questions about Preston Stone. I mean, for me, it's just there's a lot of sentiment in the community that Cade Klubnik is it because of two throws and the fact that he's got Garrett Riley, and that's it. There's been no con- – like, there's just no way he can fail, and I don't believe that. I think there's a realistic shot that he's not going to be what Mac- – I don't even think Max Dugan was that good of a CFF asset. I don't know that off the top of my head, so I may be lying to you. He was He was pretty solid. Okay, I, I don't – so maybe he ends up being a top 24 guy just because of what Garrett Riley can do for him. But when you're taking him as a top – what was he again? He's number seven, I think, in our, our consensus rankings. Uh, Where'd he go? Where'd he go? Yeah, he's number seven. I mean, you're taking him ahead of Arch Manning, Connor Wigman, Connor, Kyle McCord, Jackson, or Devin Brown. Uh, it's not a great list behind him, but you're taking a guy that early expecting him to be a CFF asset and then get you first-round draft capital. I just don't know that that's the case. I don't know that anybody – I I haven't spoken to anybody who has this this, this thought process about Klubnik that he's this like high-ceiling guy. I just think the things that make people rank him where they do I, – I think the recruiting pedigree plays a little bit into it. I think he's got the Clemson brand behind him, which I think will help. And I do think the new offensive coordinator – they're going to air it out. I mean, I think his ceiling is like Mac Jones, like plus maybe for the NFL. Like, I don't think, I don't never heard anybody sit down and say like, this guy's like Aaron Rodgers or, you know, even like you know Joe Burrow. Like I don't even see people using those kind of comps. I just think those factors and the fact that as we've talked about a bunch on the show, QB drives up so quick with what we know about the position in college right now that, you kind of those factors just kind of bump him up above some of these guys. And like you said, he's stayed healthy. Like even a guy like Penix, who I think we all think will at least be productive, like the medicals are going to be ugly with him, I think. And there's a couple guys like that. But then at that point, you just in that. So my whole argument is you just don't draft him then there. If I you take a wide receiver, you take a running back, whatever it was. I mean, the last Matt, time you're, I was on you're this talking show. to the zero QB guy. I know. But my point is like he, where he gets taken for me, I think that he's going to be a bust based on his value. That That's my whole argument. I, I would just avoid taking him. I think he's going to be a bust. All right, Austin, who do you got as a bust? Yeah, I had two names written down. I think Frank Harris actually has a worse year than everybody thinks he will. And I know this is Debbie debate. He's not really a Debbie asset. He's, I think this is his seventh year in college. They they found some some bonus year under the couch cushions for him. He's been the quarterback at UTSA over the past six years. He's been extremely productive. 
but they lose their offensive coordinator and they hired from within. We'll see how that goes. There's still a risk doing that, in my opinion. A guy that, to my knowledge, has never called plays before. Their former OC is now at Oregon. They lose their best wide receiver in Zachary Franklin, who entered the portal a while ago and finally found a home this week at Ole Miss. So he's officially finally gone. There's no chance he's going back. And then both of their other two starting receivers last year suffered knee injuries. Now, it sounds like Cephas missed spring, but he'll be fine. He'll be back in plenty of time. But um, uh, uh, DeCorian Clark got, had injured his knee late at the end of the year, and it was an ACL tear. I don't think there's any guarantee that he's back and ready for the season, no matter what the coaching staff says he looks like over the, 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 the summer. So that's a lot of turnover, even for an extremely experienced quarterback there to have at the wide receiver position. A school like UTSA isn't like Ohio State. They can just dig into their pile of former you know, top 10 overall wide receivers to replace these guys. It, it, it's hard to come across and kind of catch lightning in a bottle like that. So I think Frank Harris struggles a little bit this year. I, I think he'll disappoint based on where some of our college fancy guys think he finishes up. And then I think Drake May is kind of going to be a trendy answer too because they have that new offensive coordinator in. I pulled up Nate Marquise's article uh, from Campus to Canton that he wrote earlier this season highlighting all of the coaching changes across the FBS and he's not the only person that's saying this, but Chip Lindsay's a big downgrade, their new OC from their former guy, Phil Longo. He hasn't had really good quarterback play for fantasy purposes in a very long time. Now, granted, he hasn't had a guy like Drake May behind center either. I think May can overcome some of that. But I think the expectations that Drake May statistically does what he did last year, I, I think he'll be I think he'll he'll be worse this year statistically doesn't necessarily mean that he plays worse but i think that he will not put up the same kind of numbers and we did see him slip at the end of the year as well those last few games i think he he struggled so at replacing josh downs i mean i could go on and on but i i think he's a prime candidate to disappoint a little bit from a fantasy and production standpoint so he's still got that rushing to rely on. So maybe he's not as effective through the air, given that they have a lot of change there from the wide receiver position to the offensive coordinator. Um, but maybe he can pick it up on the ground. People and don't if, realize. If UNC's bad or not great, he's got to start thinking about the draft at some point, right? Like I would even be worried that he runs as much because at some point somebody sits there and says, buddy, like you got to stop. Because if you hurt yourself now, that could really hurt the draft process for you. I, I don't even know it's a guarantee that he runs as much. Yeah, I mean, they're still looking for an ACC championship, though. I, I don't know that. We, we saw Matt Corral and Sam Howell pick up their running in their last season before declaring for the NFL draft. So maybe we see the same thing uh, from, from Drake May. My quarterback bus here, and I feel like I'm taking a easy route here. Well, Phil Longo is a common thread here between North Carolina and his current school, Wisconsin. Tanner Mordecai, I think, is my bust. And this is really just from a CFF perspective because they're changing their offensive philosophy in Wisconsin. And I don't know that it's going to happen in the first year of Phil Longo's system. They haven't developed the wide receiver position there. Braylon Allen is their best offensive player. I think that they still lean heavily on the run. I don't think that we see Tanner Mordecai throw the ball, you know, an average of 25 uh, or more times a game. I think that it's going to be less than that. So, um, that's, uh, that's my bust. And I don't know that Tanner Mordecai is necessarily a special player where he can kind of, um, uh, you know, dictate the offense and, and elevate the players around him. So 
I can't wait to see what Phil Longo looks like, you know, after a full recruiting cycle, what that offense looks like and how it may change. I wish Graham Mertz was still there. It might be an attractive option of value at the position, but I think that Tanner Mordecai might be overdrafted because what he did at SMU, what now, two years ago? Is it two years ago now that he finished as a, a QB1? So my potential bust for 2023 is Wisconsin quarterback Tanner Mordecai. All right, uh, Matthew, give us your running back potential bust. Well, let's stick with the Wisconsin theme. And um, I think Austin stood with me two years ago. Felix, you and Chris Moxley just just poo-pooed all over me for this take. And then I've I've listened to the shows when I'm not here. And recently, I've heard you be down a little bit on one Braylon Allen. All of a sudden, I'm a dude couldn't. You worshipped him, dude. Walked on water. He turned water to wine. Yeah, you. And all of a sudden, you've been down on him. I don't think he's in for this amazing season just because Phil Longo's coming over and is going to, quote-unquote, open up the offense and spread the offense out, allowing him for better running lanes. You go back to his time at Ole Miss and even at North Carolina. So North Carolina, he had two phenomenal running backs in Javante Williams and Michael Carter, who both did fairly good rushing the ball. They both had one year that was uh, the last year before they entered the draft. Both were over 1,100 yards. The year prior to that, only Michael Carter went over 1,000. But why were they so effective in fantasy? Both of them were catching 20-plus passes. In that offense, then you go back to his time at Ole Miss, Scotty Phillips, little call back there, 10 receptions in one year, the year after a year prior to that in 2017, his first year as the offensive coordinator there for Ole Miss, I believe it was 15. If I can get this stat to load correctly, I'm sorry, 26 for Jordan Wilkins. The one common thread between every single running back that he has going from Jordan Wilkins to Scotty Phillips to Michael Carter and Javante Williams. They all only get right around 150 attempts. And we saw last year that Braylon Allen was not quite as good. Some of the stats say that he was good. He was fairly good in yards created, EPA per play, dominator rating. But if you really go, and I know I'm picking and choosing here, and that's fine. It's my player. I get to pick my bus. I'm going to do whatever the hell I want. There are some games that he was bottled up and did absolutely nothing and then broke one play, and I get it. Well, he still broke that one play, and you are right. He did. But the main factor in all these running backs being so good for you and CFF and having such great seasons was the receptions. I don't think Braylon Allen's getting 20 receptions. I just don't think he's that good of a receiver. He's probably going to be a decent rusher this year, still probably going to get you 11, 1,200 yards. But I don't think he should deserves to be in the conversation with Travion Henderson and Raheem Sanders. I think he's going to be a late day two pick. I just don't think he's going to bring you that value on the college side this year because I don't think Wisconsin's going to be good overall. They know who to stop, and it's Braylon Allen. And when he gets into the NFL, I do think that his fantasy upside realistically is not going to be there for you because he does not bring you that receiving upside. I, I feel like you just kind of explained why he might have more potential this year than in previous years because you just identified all of these stats where Phil Longo is incorporating the running back into the receiving game. So we could see all of those running backs are much better receivers than Braylon Allen. We don't know if Braylon Allen is a good receiver, but if he goes from, I mean, how many receptions did he have last year? 13? If he goes from 13 to 27 or 30, that is a big jump. I will bet you're not going to take this bet. I will guarantee you, barring injury, Braylon Allen has more than 150 carries this year. 
He was at 230 I last year. Just said he averages 100. And, Phil Longo's offense averages 150. He usually splits it between two running backs. I think he'll have over 150. He's not going to get 230. I would take the over on 200 carries. Okay, I'll buy you. A, I'll buy you a home he field is, shirt if he goes he over. He is the best player in that offense. It is still a running system. I mean, I don't. What else? You're going to throw to DK or whatever. I mean, it's this offense is still going to revolve around Braylon Allen, and he might get 20 plus receptions. I still like Braylon Allen. No, he's not flashy. He's a hammer that you use as a hammer. There is still a space for guys like that than eight than in uh, uh, like that in the NFL. He's a better prospect than A.J. Dillon, in my opinion. A.J. Dillon was taken, what, in the second or third round? Third, I, I also think third think, round, yeah, or back end of the second. Which is what I just said, Braylon Allen's going to go. But people okay, are putting him as RB1 in the class. Nobody's putting him in RB1. Yes, the there class. actually are people who are putting him as RB1 in the class, like, Felix. This, oh, I'm, not, I'm not saying you are. Over, I know that over Raheem Sanders, over Travion. Yes, Hines. people are doing it. I'm not joking with you. That's why I picked him okay, as my Austin's bust. shaking his head. Um, I, well, I mean, I, I got to disagree with you. I do. I do vehemently disagree with you on this one. I think Brandon Allen's going to be just fine. If, if he gets over 200 offense. carries, the minute he gets 201, I'll shoot you a text and say, what shirt do you want from home field? And you I'll still need you to sing the Michigan fight song, by the way. I for sang that, uh, that already. You just weren't no, you on didn't. the show. You were, I'll you shoot didn't you the it. link to it. You didn't yes, sing it. You're lying. How are you going to lie about a bet? You have some integrity here. And I'm pay off lying. your bets. Have have it. some integrity, and you need to pay off your bets. You need to sing "Hail to the Victors" here eventually. I will get you. The how'd lead. that? Uh, how'd that pay off for the bet go between you and Austin on Mario Williams? So you're deflecting we? now. I don't I'll even know what the bet question. was between me and Austin. Because Austin, you just continue to deflect and don't ever ask. Like it's have twenty twenty again. Yeah. These are bets that we had what two and a half years ago that need to be paid off. Uh, Austin, your thoughts on Braylon Allen being a – I think for all of re, all of the reasons Tanner Mordecai is going to be a bust, um, Braylon Allen won't be. So, Austin, what are your thoughts on Matthew's prediction that Braylon Allen will be a bust? What What's the most on-brand thing that I could say in response to this? Because I don't know, something neutral, something like right down the middle, some something like that. I don't think Mordecai or Allen will be as bad as you guys think either of them will be, but I don't think either will have an amazing season. And that was the most on-brand thing I could say, right? I don't think Mordecai will be terrible, but I don't think he'll be SMU Mordecai, and I don't think that Braylon Allen will do what he did as a true freshman either. Because I think they will – I think they want to give some carries to other guys or like it touches, like receiving and stuff. I I think they'll carve up the responsibilities enough that Allen – I think there's almost a zero percent chance that Allen goes over twenty receptions, like virtually no no shot at it. I don't think they want to use him that way. Well, we'll see. Uh, Austin, you and I both have the same running back identified as a bust for twenty twenty three, uh, even though I filled out the show sheet first. And you, I, I have another there. answer. So you you do your no. Go ahead. First. No, go ahead. You can talk no. about Blake Corn. No, go ahead. I I don't. I mean, I just. Donovan Edwards is really the reason why I think Corum isn't as productive this year. And he could be just as good again, as I said with uh, Drake may, he could perform as well and not be as productive. I think, I mean, Edwards was a little banged up in the middle of the season, so he didn't get a ton of touches for a few games there. 
but down the stretch, Edwards was amazing. And yes, I know those were games without quorum, but guess what? They're not just going to say, oh, cool, you ran for 200 yards against Ohio State. Bye-bye. Like they're, <laughs> you're going to see an increased workload. They, at bare minimum, want him to catch the ball. I think quorum will have probably fewer than 15 receptions this year overall because they just aren't going to. He, he'll The only catches he'll get are if J.J. McCarthy's under extreme pressure and he's just there for a dump off. That's the only, they're not going to scheme him anything at all i know people will cite that one that one thing uh, gps track or whatever where he's supposed to be fast he's not that fast he's not yeah. that explosive i think part of it's a product of him beefing up a little bit when he got to college so that because he was kind of that kick return guy um but i i i just don't think quorum is as effective this year i think really i have him i think in like my low 20s early 30s in my c2c rankings i, I think he's a day three nfl running back i think he'll be a platoon kind of guy. And I think he'll be a platoon kind of guy this year, except for the platooning he does now. Like it's, it's the opposite. Like he, he won't be the chain mover in the NFL. That's just not going to be his role. I, I agree with you. He's very similar to his running backs coach and Mike Hart. They were similar <laughs> style players and similar size. I think that Quorum could be this year's uh, Muhammad Abraham, productive college player who just goes undrafted. I don't, I, I think that Noah Hills likes Blake Quorum, but he is to be as an, not an exceptional player in any particular category. Donovan Edwards is. Donovan Edwards is explosive. Donovan Edwards can catch the ball out of the backfield. He ha I, He's probably faster than Blake Quorum, and they're not going to sit him uh, on the sidelines this year. They just aren't. I mean, I, the offense will probably revolve around both of them in the backfield. We see that in Penn State with Nicholas Singleton and Katron Allen. It'll probably be some version of the same thing between Donovan Edwards and Blake Quorum. That's why I think he's a bust. I think it's also more likely that he's closer to being an undrafted free agent than he is to being selected on day two. So that's why I'm calling Blake Corm as a bust. As a matter of fact, if I had him anywhere, I would try to trade him. I mean, you might be able to get some good equity uh, there, there out of uh, that position. By the way, there's a lot of people, I didn't realize, there's a lot of people that play C2C that like, don't listen to our content, or don't consume any of our content. So there's still, like, if you listen to us, you can still get an edge. There are people who don't know who Lenora Sellers and Aiden Childs are, and they're drafting in freshman drafts. So, like, you can still get an edge by, uh, you know, listening to our recommendations on Raheem Sanders or Quinshawn Judkins or not to take Emmanuel Sanders, all that kind of stuff. Uh, Austin, wh who was the other – was there another player that you – yeah, um, I, I Jaden Ott is a guy that I I'm just not really that big of a fan of, and I kind of my approach with him is similar to when I was saying sell Kobe Prentice early this offseason. After his, he he kind of had one or two kind of flashy games for Alabama at slot wide receiver, and I think Ott is a really really similar kind of guy. If you go look at his stats last year, he had more games where he averaged fewer than three yards per carry than he had hundred yard rushing games. The two games that he had 100 yards rushing in, one was against UC Davis, who, if you're wondering what conference they, they're in, they're not an FBS school, they're an FCS school, and they were a 500 team last year. He still only managed 17 carries for 104 yards against them. And then that huge game against Arizona, who was 124th in the country in rush defense, uh, and even worse than that in most explosive play metrics, where he had 19 carries for 274 yards and three touchdowns. Other than that, never uh, had one game with 97 yards and then never topped 70 the rest of the season. This is a guy that 
weighs roughly 200 pounds. And just by looking at him, he's probably close to maxed out. He does not have that thick frame. When you look at some of these guys, he's kind of a, a skinnier build. He does not have that low center of gravity. He does not really run well between the tackles. And I think that problem will not solve itself because he's a slider back. I think his best outlook is as a platoon guy, a guy that plays Donovan Edwards' role essentially, and then has a kind of a greater back beside him that that can kind of pick up the tough yards between the tackles. <laughs> but I, in some comments, as thicker frame than Colin Decker, uh, my my co-host on the campus uh, the camp podcast. So I think if you're expecting him to have a lot. Uh, it's a good rushing numbers this season. I, I don't think he'll do better than he did last year. 897 yards rushing. He is a solid receiver, which is why I think that's his role moving forward. He had 46 catches last year as a true freshman. Now he only had 321 yards. So yikes. It's mostly dump off stuff. It's not them scheming him open, but I do think he's competent there. So I think his role moving forward is you pair him with another back who can do the dirty work. And then I think when he goes to the NFL, like he's Eric Ray. From three years ago, if you guys remember Eric Gray as a freshman, he was very poor between the tackles. He flashed once he was able to get in space, but he struggles to get there. And I think that's going to be Ott's problem forever. I, I think it's just going to be a problem where you kind of have to work to get him into space. And that's not necessarily a desirable player. Austin, would you trade Jay Knott for a second round supplemental draft pick? In a heartbeat. Yep, I would. I would. Any any second rounder. Name, name your second rounder. and I would take it. Random second. All right, let's move to the wide receiver position here. Uh, Matthew, give us your bust for wide receiver. Well, you know, since I've been on brand with the other two, I've got to just stick with the guy I've been calling a bust for two years and Xavier Worthy right now. I'm just kidding. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go a different route here, and I think I'm probably going to surprise a lot of people. But I talked about this recently on a a podcast and. I think we've jumped the shark quite a bit with Carnell Tate, and I think he's going to end up being the bust here. He's he's moved all the way up to wide receiver nine in our consensus rankings, and I get it. He had an amazing spring, showed up, looked great, did everything you needed him to do, blew up. Brian Hartline talking about him. Everybody talking about goes out, catches a touchdown in the spring game. But guys – We've seen the past three. When we first started this show, the COVID season, I talked about how much they loved beforehand to do these like hockey line rotations at wide receiver. They do not do that anymore. They keep their guys in. In fact, Marvin Harrison Jr. last year played 96% of these snaps at wide receiver at the X spot for Ohio State which is likely where Carnell Tate is going to slide in behind Marvin Harrison Jr. You're likely going to have, whether we like it or not, Julian Fleming is going to start. And Emeka Ibuka is going to be in the slot. Jaden Ballard will be there backing up Julian Fleming. And it looks like as of right now, hey, look, I, I don't like it either, Felix. I'm just telling you, that's what it's going to be. Xavier Johnson is likely going to be the one who backs up Mecca and or Julian Fleming. We had talked all about, about this during the freshman guy and everything. We all felt Brandon Ennis was the much better player, and I think he fits the mold of the wide receiver that Brian Hartline not only loves to develop, but has shown success in developing. He has not gotten there yet. I think when he gets there this spring, he is going to be the guy that ends up getting on the field before Tate does, 
And because of the fact that Tate is behind Marvin Harrison Jr., I just don't think he's going to go out there and have the season everybody thinks he's going to have unless Marvin Harrison Jr. gets hurt. Because if Julian Fleming goes down, he's not stepping into that role. But you know who can? Brandon Ennis can. If Emeka Buka goes down, is Carnell Tate going into the slot? No. If any of you guys were paying attention to my spring practice reports, they were actually trying Carnell Tate out in the slot to start off the spring. And after two practices, they moved him back outside because he couldn't do it. It's not going to be him in the slot if Mecca gets hurt. It's going to end up being Brandon Ennis. And they're going to use Xavier Johnson to move all around the formation. I think we've jumped the shark way too much on Carnell Tate. If you take him as wide receiver nine, like, again, I get it. We've talked a lot about it over this, this past month or so that these – our rankings have a lot of questions in them right now. It feels like there's not quite the elite top or the top elite players that we've had the past couple years. But I mean, I'm I'm taking Xavier Worthy over him, Brandon Ennis. I might even take Tedaroa McMillan over him. All those guys rank below him. Top 10 just seems crazy to me. He's gonna be my best. I actually just said almost a version of this last show. When I said that either Brandon Ennis or Carnell Tate would be a year one zero for pretty much all all of the reasons you just identified, I think Xavier Johnson is the real um, wrench in this because I, coaches like players like Xavier Johnson had to be pulled out from wide receiver to play running back when they had injuries last year, and he's a senior. He's going to get on the field like they, the coaches will believe he deserves it. They will give him snaps probably in front of these freshmen. Brandon Ennis wasn't even there for the spring. So um, it could be both of them are year one zeros as good as a spring as Carnell Tate had. They better get up on some teams because, you know, and play in the fourth quarter of some games because because of what, what you said. They're not going to play uh, early. Those snaps are going to be dominated by the starting three. Yeah, um, I really quick, I just want to mention, because you did mention Xavier Johnson, which I brought up, I, I and I don't. I want to make sure that I clarify this. I actually do think that if Marvin Harrison gets hurt, we'll see Xavier Johnson, even though I don't think he's an ex-wide receiver, playing in the X-spot more than Cardinal Tate because they will not be afraid to use him on jet sweeps or anything like that because Brian Hartline trusts him. And that's a big thing with Brian Hartline. We talk about these coaching trends all the time. It's why you still see Julian Fleming out there, regardless of the fact he's not produced. Brian Hartline trusts him and continues to put him out on the field. I think my counterpoint to some of what you said is that I think you're just too hung up on your your pre-spring Ennis greater than Tate take. I I just think you're too you're too dug in on it at this point. I think we need to trust a little more about what we've seen already. The staff hasn't seen Ennis in Ohio State colors yet. They've seen Carnell Tate when they show up to to fall camp. And they're in line to do Tate's in front of Ennis. And I don't think that's going to change by the time the season kicks off. I just don't think there's enough time there to do that. I think we're a little too attached to that pre spring eval and it need that we need to separate those two a little bit. So that's fine that you think that my issue, my, my rebuttal to that is Brandon Ennis can play in all three wide receiver spots. Carnell Tate cannot. And he we've seen can. that Brian Hart, no, he cannot. They've already said they don't want him in the slot. They tried putting him in the slot, and they said no. It, it go back to the spring practice stuff that I talked about. The first two days of practice, he was in the slot, and then they just kicked him out to X. He's not going to do it. He's not built. I mean, Tate is not built like a slot wide receiver either. And, and you want to bring up the coaching staff. Brian Hartline gushed about Brandon Ennis multiple times, even though he wasn't in spring. And I'm going back again to what Brian Hartline thinks. 
and what he's shown and developed. I'm you may be right. Maybe I'm wrong on, on the Brandon thing, but I do think he's a much better player. And I think because he can play all three spots and there is that lack of depth, there is a lack of depth at wide receiver, the whole wide receiver room, if I'm being honest. But I think he fits into the different roles better than Carnell Tate can, that I think we are going to see him on the field and have a better season than Carnell Tate. Austin, give us, wait, did you already give us our, your wide receiver bust? No, no, you haven't. Give us your wide receiver bust. No, I mentioned Dorian Singer on last week's show, so I won't go over him again, but I think there's a legitimate chance that he's phased out over the course of the season at USC. He's just not a special player. He's more of a what I would expect to be a depth guy at USC. The other one I have is Matthew Golden, who's a Houston, and I have long been a fan of Matthew Golden, um, so this is coming from a place of situations changed a little bit. Houston taking the step up to the uh, Big 12, I think, is, is just you know more difficult competition. They lose Clayton Toon. And I talked a little bit about Donovan Smith this week with Colin. I just don't... I don't think Donovan Smith is the same kind of quarterback that a guy like Clayton Toon was where he can support a 1,500-yard receiver or whatever they usually put out as, as their alpha. And I also think that there are enough other good receivers at Houston that Golden will struggle to separate himself like some of the other guys have in the past. Like when Tank Dell got there, there was nothing at wide receiver behind Tank Dell. Tank Dell was the obvious guy to go to 40% of the time. I don't think Golden has that luxury with some of the other guys that they have in that receiving room. So I think Golden, I think our CFF team has him as their wide receiver 14. That feels very, very rich to me. And for my C2C rankings, I do believe I have him in around my top 15, but I think there's a legitimate chance that he struggles a little bit. And we're looking at him as a guy that's really fading after the season goes over. I am not actively acquiring Matthew Golden this offseason. In fact, I think if I have him, I might try to shop him around and see what I can get. I'm not I'm keeping Matthew Golden right where he is. Um, I, I do understand there are changes there, but I still maybe like maybe we're in a league together and I have him. We can work something out, Felix. We are no longer in league in any leagues together, unfortunately. We're in the Deputy Debate Listener League together. Oh yeah. I always forget about that one because it's free. Um we need to start charging. <laughs> we need to start charging that one. Um I feel like I've taken the low-hanging fruit here on this show, and I'm just sorry. I'm going to keep doing it because, uh, well, I don't know. Can't always get some sort of different name. My, mine is Andre Green Jr., and it's because of some of the reasons that Austin said with the uh, offensive coordinator there, but it's also just because he's probably behind like fourth or fifth on the depth chart. You got Kobe Pesor and Gavin Blackwell there, and then Devontae Walker is probably going to be the X. So, this is a player that we had who had a lot of raw ability that we saw play relatively well in the bowl game. I think he had two touchdowns in that game on three receptions or maybe one touchdown on three receptions. And we didn't see him all, all last year when that receiving core wasn't gr like great. And then I, Andre Green, Andre Green, Antoine Green, excuse me, Antoine Green had an injury and they didn't use uh, Andre Green Jr. It wasn't until late in the season. Now he came from a, lower level of competition. You watch his highlight film and he's super athletic. You see him make all of these athletic catches, but often in like cornfields, football fields in the middle of cornfields. So the depth chart, I don't know that he has solidified himself as the, the second outside wide receiver there. 
I think it's going to be Blackwell probably with Pesor playing in the slot. Somebody can correct me if I'm wrong there. But we we spent probably second round draft capital, third round freshman draft capital on Andre Green Jr. And I don't know that we're going to necessarily get our return because he just, again, he's not competing for playing time uh, as of yet. So that's my wide receiver, my wide receiver bust for 2023. Let's finish out here with the tight ends, and I'll start here. Elijah Arroyo. I have been really high on Elijah Arroyo since he was a freshman, kind of a dynamic playmaker who could line up outside. And Miami has a history of tight ends. Go to Bubba Franks, Jeremy Shockey, Kellen Winslow. Uh, I mean, the list kind of goes on and on for, for I think that there are probably three or other tight ends that I can name. Uh, even um, uh, uh, David and Joku. And who's the, the tight? Brevin Jordan. Brevin Jordan for the Houston Texans. Like the list goes on and on for tight ends for Miami. But Elijah Arroyo has been injured. He wasn't even healthy this spring. They've got Jaleel Skinner there. And Shannon Dawson coming from Houston is the new offensive coordinator for, for Miami. The, in the last four years, the best season that a tight end has had for Houston has been just 37 receptions uh, for just under 400 yards and two touchdowns. All other seasons in the last four years, they've had less than 23 receptions in less than 200 uh, around 250 yards receiving in each of those seasons. So the tight end is not really getting utilized. I like the player. I really do. And I've wanted to see him just be on the field, especially now that there is no Will Mallory. Will Mallory stood in his way, and now it might be Jaleel Skinner and the offensive coordinator. So my bust for the tight end position, even after three seasons, is Elijah Arroyo. I I think that there's still the potential for them there because they don't have a lot at the wide receiver position. They got Colby Young. They got Xavier Estrepo in the slot. I kind of thought that Elijah Arroyo could be like a focal point of this offense, but I thought that last year, and it didn't really turn out that way, again, for, for injury. I mean, that was one of the reasons, and Tyler Van Dyke didn't play as well. I'm crossing my fingers that we see an elite season from Elijah Arroyo, but I don't think it's going to happen. That's my tight end bust. Uh, Austin, I, I don't know that Julio Skinner is holding anybody back for the record. Um, I have never really understood that, um, but that's just me. Um, I think there's a couple of guys that are, I just think the target share is not going to work out for them this year. I think Jaheim Bell, who transferred to Florida State from South Carolina, uh, and we thought it was going to be a, a bigger role there for him. And then they went out and got Keon Coleman, plus they have Johnny Wilson. They've got some decent freshmen that I think if they get into some, some, more blowout type games they'll get in and, and steal some touches from him and then i do think trey benson is going to see a pretty hefty workload as well at running back so i think jaheim bell just an odd man out there and that's not to say that he um i, I still think he'll make it to the nfl but as kind of an h-backy kind of guy what kind of value does he have beyond that i i don't really know so I, he, he's not a guy that i'm really acquiring actively this offseason and then i do think uh the jordan hudson to smu Stuff kind of hurts R.J. Maryland a little bit, who the, was their kind of breakout tight end last year. Another guy that really most of his production came in two games. Other than that, he was not really that prolific. We'll see what Preston Stone likes with him. But I do think between Curley, between Hudson, and they do have one or two other guys there that are decent enough that I think Maryland is just another guy that gets squeezed out of what we thought could be a decent size of a target share there for SMU. So I think RJ Maryland and Jaheim Bell 
both uh, suffer a little bit just due to some late transfer portal workings this offseason? Uh, I don't really have a good one. It's really hard, I think, to to pick a tight end. But to, to go with a guy who who's ranked fairly highly that I think I could see busting Oscar Delp, uh, Georgia tight end. I mean, listed, I believe, is 6'5", 225. I would like to see him, number one, add more weight. I don't know that he's going to have a great season with Brock there. I also don't know what that offense is going to look like moving forward. I mean, losing Todd Munkin, I think, is going to be a bigger hit than – I know some people think that the offense is going to be fine. I want to see it before I believe it. With with the way that they recruit running backs in that offensive line, I would not be surprised if, if they just continue to be – or move back to a more run-heavy offense like they were in the past, which I then think hurts Delp a little bit because they also brought in Pierce Sperlin and is Lawson Lucky. Was he the other one? Both really good freshmen as well, who I think will eat into Oscar Delp a little bit down the road. Not this year, but again, he's got Brock Bowers there. And I think Brock Bowers, just because of the athlete that he is and how integrated, how important he is to that offense, he's going to be the main target hog that I don't think we see Oscar Delp ever really break out at the college level. And I don't know that he's... I could be wrong on this. I don't know that he's that special that he's going to be getting. He'll probably get day two draft capital, but he's not getting round one. So I don't know what you're getting from from the NFL. It's really hard to project these guys the NFL to begin with. So he's a guy that, I mean, top three off the board at tight end, that, that's kind of hard for me to to bet on. And, and the rebuttal to that take is, is this team used quite a bit of two tight end personnel last year. Now, that was Darnell Washington on the field, and they kind of used him as an offensive lineman. They also used him in the red zone, and they got him the ball plenty. Like, I think Darnell Washington may have had like 15 catches uh, last year, somewhere around there, 15 to 17, something like that. I could see Oxford Delp getting somewhere around. He's not someone that you are starting on the college side of your leagues. He's probably just a Debbie asset right now that you're waiting to declare for the NFL draft or until Brock Bowers leaves and he's deployed as the starter. So, all right. Um, make sure, is there anything else that I've, have we, have we covered everything? Uh, there are people talking about playing college fantasy football all the time and they still have not heard of us. They don't know that they should follow us. They don't know that the, the content that we offer. So by liking this video, subscribing to the YouTube page, dropping a, a rate and review. Those things help us find more people so we can grow college fantasy. Um, so we appreciate you supporting us. We appreciate you going to the website and checking all out all of the articles there. Matt has been dropping some videos that have been going viral on the YouTube page on 2024 recruits. So check those out. And of course, the podcast feed. We have this content for you every single day. But that is going to be it for us tonight. Apologies to Kirk Herbstreit. We ran out of time. We'll get them rescheduled soon. For Matt Bruning and Austin Nace, I'm Felix Sharp. Good night and good luck.